Well, over the course of many years now, uh, Julia and I have been encouraged by the ministry of Alistair Begg. I know uh, some of you have been encouraged by his ministry too. We began listening to him on the radio in the early 2000s. And over the course of time, he's had a huge impact on our Christian walk, uh, mostly from a distance, though, uh, though on two occasions I did get to spend some time with him, which, is, which was an extraordinary encouragement. The last time I got to be with him, it ended with him giving me his phone number and telling me that if I ever gave it to anybody, he would put a snake in my pajamas. So that's, that's uh, I don't know what to make of that, but he's, he's very friendly in that way. Um, One significant element, though, that's marked Alistair's ministry over time, and for those of you who've listened to him and benefited from the ministry, you'll have noticed this. One significant element in his ministry is uh, that he regularly practices uh, in in, in instructing and speaking to his congregation. Uh, One of Paul's letters, maybe Timothy, pastoral work. So whether Alistair's preaching through uh, one of Paul's letters, maybe Timothy or Titus, which he's done multiple times for his congregation in the 40 years that he's been ministering to them, whether he's preaching through one of those pastoral letters or whether he's uh, in, in, in another letter, another place in the, in the scriptures that speak to it, he's regularly highlighting expectations um, for his congregation and for himself and for the other elders in his church of what it looks like to faithfully engage in the, in the pastoral calling. Um, it's something that very much stands out in his ministry. It's, it's this regularity of which he speaks to biblical expectations around being a pastor. And in reflecting on that, it seems to be one element that's contributed to the significant fruitfulness he's had as a pastor in the same place for a very long time. Alistair hasn't been a pastor who has you know, spent four or five years in a congregation only to move on when the majority of the material he's, he has prepared is done with. And maybe when a, a few conflicts of various sorts percolate in the congregation, he then moves on to the next and on to the next like so often can happen in pastoral ministry. But instead, he's been there for, for right around 40 years now. And a big part of his being there, even as he will speak about that, a big part of his being there is his making the congregation aware through the instruction of the scriptures of what to expect in pastoral ministry. What should they expect in terms of relating to the leadership that God has for them in the church? And, uh, and this, of course, reflects a New Testament pattern, even as we, think about, as we think about the various New Testament letters, whether it's Paul's writing, where he'll regularly refer to uh, leadership and pastoral ministry, even in his letter to the Corinthians or to the Thessalonians, let alone his pastoral epistles to, to Timothy, two of those, and then one to Titus. Many of Paul's letters have direct instruction for the church around expectations and functions of leaders in the congregation, but, but it's not just Paul. Peter speaks about it too. First Peter 5, he addresses the shepherds in the church or the pastors in the church. Uh, James speaks about teachers in the church who will give an account and elders who are expected to have a ministry of prayer in the congregation. Uh, John speaks about his own pastoral impulse of, of of the joy he has in hearing that his children in the faith are walking in the truth. Uh, so, so concern around proper expectation and functions of leadership within the church, it runs all through the New Testament. And as we come to this uh, next verse here in Hebrews today, we find the subject being brought up again as well, where the preacher of Hebrews now speaks to the current leadership in the church and how the congregation ought to relate uh, to those who are currently engaged in pastoral work there. And uh, we think about this in the context of Hebrews 13 uh, <clears throat> on the whole, where we know that the preacher of Hebrews is emphasizing what it means to live a life of praise before God. Uh, 
a life of worship or this liturgizing life of praise before God is what the focus of this chapter has been, where the preachers work through uh, elements of our daily life, uh, such as how we think about money or marriage or loving others. All of these different elements come into play when we think about the fact that the Lord Jesus has purified us to live a life of praise before God. All aspects of life are now aspects of worship for us as we seek to honor God, not just in the gathering to, to, to liturgize, to formally serve God in court corporate worship on Sunday morning, but as we then go out into our daily lives in order to bring honor to the Lord in all that we do. This is what Christ has purified us for. Hebrews 9 makes that clear. He's cleansed us for this life of worship. And, and of course, while that affects everything, this also has implications for the way we relate uh, to leadership in our local church. And this is important for us to think about well, because ultimately what's being connected here for us is that God Himself works through leadership whom he holds responsible, as we'll see, but God works through pastoral leadership in order to promote the, the whole life progress of his people in following Jesus. So our liturgical life is, is compelled, not, not just by the Sunday liturgy of, of, of your, of your uh, church that the pastor no doubt has put together, it's not just compelled by Sunday liturgy, but it's actually compelled by faithful pastoral service that we as pastors are called uh, to render to the church. And so a passage like this is important, uh, just as Alistair's ministry witnesses to, this is important because for all of us, uh, whether pastors or congregants alike, for all of us, how we understand and respond to church leadership is critical to our progress in the faith. Uh, so we're going to focus on this aspect of, of things here in the text today. We're going to think about verse 17 under the, the, the broad heading, the liturgical life and current leadership. In fact, we're actually going to think of verses 17 through 19 under that heading. Uh, we'll just do part one this week. Part two, we'll come to verses 18 and 19 next week. Um, but we're going to think about this liturgical life as it relates to current leadership in the church. And even in giving you that heading for today, it is important to uh, mention the fact that current leadership is what's being highlighted. Because you remember back in, in verse 7 of chapter 13, the preacher has actually talked about the church's posture toward leadership already. Ten verses back, he's already brought this subject up. But there, if you remember our study in those verses, uh, in that verse, th those were historical leaders in the church that the preacher was referencing there. So you remember how he talked about historical leaders like, uh, like those founding missionaries uh, that brought the gospel first to these believers. And then subsequently, certainly the pastors who served them there in that congregation. Paul, uh, the, the preacher here has said, uh, bring to mind the word of God that they spoke to you and think about the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. So, so he's talked to them already about historical leaders that have been involved in ministry there in this, in this church that he's now addressing. Uh, and then here he shifts to speak about current leadership. Uh, again, uh, this is leadership that is uh, presently uh, there in the church seeking to bring them along in the way of Christ. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to think about verse 17 and the liturgical life and current leadership. We're going to look at this and we're going to investigate the, the verse under two subheadings. And I'll give them to you just so you can follow along. The first one is, is going to be the posture toward current leadership that, he, that he's calling the people to think well about. And then secondly, he gives two reasons or a two-part rationale for this posture that he's, that he's just directed them in. So that's how we'll think about this verse today. First of all, a posture uh, toward current leadership, and then two reasons uh, for, for this posture. 
Uh, so if you look at verse 17, we'll, we'll think about this posture toward current leadership, first of all, uh, where, where the preacher starts by saying, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, uh, it's worth pointing out that this obeying word is different than the word used in places like Ephesians 6.1, where children are to obey their parents. Uh, in, in fact, although the verb is, is in a different form, the preacher actually uses the same word again down in verse 18. If you look at that, where he says, we are convinced that we have a clear conscience. That's actually the same root word as what's translated obey here. So, so, so there's a sense in which this is a word that is equivalent, if we were going to put it in our more modern vernacular, we might say something like uh, trust or rest assured. So rest assured and yield in your current leadership. That, that, that's a bit more of a, of a sense of what's going on here, which helps us, especially as, as we look at the many other places where this word shows up in the New Testament. And, and it also helps us just as we get a view of what the preacher is getting after here, because more than just a demand for a kind of blind allegiance that's being called for, which in, which in out-of-sort circles, this verse can be taken improperly and applied in that kind of way. You must obey your leadership. No questions asked. Just do what we say. No, that's not what he's getting after here. Instead of calling for blind allegiance, it is a call to a trusted following. But much like the, the next word, submission, again, which only, that, that Greek word only appears here in the whole New Testament. It's not the same word for submission that Paul speaks about in his letters uh, to, to, Ephesians, to the Ephesians and to the, Corinthians, or to the Colossians. It's a different word here. But again, this, this is a little bit of a softer term that does mean to yield. So, so, so when we read the first part of, of this verse... The idea here is not that a demand is being placed on this congregation that might even come across as a little bit patronizing, a little bit belittling. They're not being instructed to obey their pastors like, like a small child is instructed to obey their parents. So it's not like the, the, the pastors are there saying, you know, you need to obey right away and all the way and with a happy heart kind of thing. That, that's, that's a very patronizing uh, kind of posture for a pastor to adopt. Instead, the people are being called to trust trustingly follow the pastoral ministry of the church. So, so again, we could paraphrase this part of the verse by saying something like, follow your leaders in a trusting way, yielding to their direction. Follow your leaders in a trusting way, yielding to their direction. So, so this is a call to faithfully and willfully engage in the direction the pastoral leadership of the church is taking the congregation. Which brings up a very important point, um, in terms of, of what the preacher is speaking about here with regard to the presumed presence of godly leadership. Uh, again, this isn't blind allegiance is being called for here. Already in this chapter, the preacher has very clearly addressed the issues of false teaching. And any false teaching that, for example, focuses, as we have in chapter 13, that would focus on things like external regulations, any teaching that focuses on our life of worship um, centered on something other than what corresponds to the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, all those things we were talking about last week, any leadership that calls for contrary truths to Jesus, who is the same in supremacy yesterday, today, and forever, well, that leadership has no place in the church whatsoever. And it certainly can't demand the allegiance of the congregation. This is not a call to blind trusting and yielding here. Instead, it's a call to informed trusting and yielding on the part of the congregation. 
You remember this informed idea is actually something that the preacher uh, holds this church accountable for back in chapter 5 when he tells them in the end of chapter 5 that they're to have their gospel senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. As Christian believers in the congregation, they're to be a discerning group. The congregation is to have a studied knowledge of what's true about following Jesus as the supreme obtainer and preserver and final rewarder of salvation. So, so this call to follow your leaders, as we'll say it, in a trusting way, yielding to their direction, this isn't remotely close to anything like blind obedience. Instead, this is a scripturally trained congregation following scripturally faithful pastors. Right? Tom Schreiner, in his commentary on Hebrews, which is, which is so well done and so, so helpful, he puts things very succinctly when he makes this comment on this verse. He says, The author assumes in giving this command that the leaders teach and live in accord with the theology articulated in this letter. Hence, the, you have to be Tom Schreiner to use words like hence, but hence, hence, the call to submit to leaders is not universal. The reader should not submit if leaders deviate from the gospel. Plain and simple, but, but it's not a call to blind obedience here. And as congregants, that's good to know. Because as time goes by, whether it's in this church, God help us, or any other church you, you may be a part of, if something seems out of sync with what the pastoral staff is calling for and what the scriptures reveal, don't be shy about that. As a congregation, we want to be in a place where we can call them on it, call us on it. That's okay to do. That's good to do. Blind allegiance is never called for in the Scriptures. If something doesn't seem quite right, press on it. We have to do that, do, do that in a gracious way, right, in a humble way. But there's nothing wrong with that. This is not blind allegiance. And then on the other side, where the pastoral leadership is going in the way of Christ and calling for the people of the church to persevere in what it means to follow Jesus faithfully, where that's the case... Willingly yield. Follow. Which I must say is, is certainly a sweetness that's present in our fellowship. It seems that way to, to me at least. That's something we can be so thankful for. We're not in tension as pastor and people here. We're all going in the same direction. And, and we know that's a product of being under the scriptures together week in and week out as we seek to follow Jesus. No matter who's standing up here, this is why it's important to be under the word of God together. Because as we're under the word in our community life, instead of just being under the, 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 the latest or popular musings of some speaker, as we're under the word of God, the preacher preparing the word has a chance to get himself sorted in a way that's obedient to the scriptures on a daily basis which I say halfway joking, but halfway not. The Lord must know I need 20 hours for that and you only need 30 to 40, right? But the preacher has a chance under the word to make sure my own heart is sorted properly under the scriptures. And then as that word is expounded for you, we all have the opportunity to come together under that word and check our lives as we check our Bibles to make sure that what's being said from the front is true in order that we can follow Jesus with God's help under that same word. And as we do that, what the pastoral leadership of the church calls for and what the congregation desires, they will both align under the supremacy of Christ. There's a beauty to that. And what a gift that is. It's a gift we enjoy as a local church here. Something we, we can be so thankful for. This priority under the word of God, following the Lord Jesus together. So, so, so you can see the wonderfully positive side to what the preacher is calling for here in this yielding to leadership that is going in the way that brings life because it is a way that is inextricably connected to the supremacy of Christ and the life revealed from him through the scriptures. 
Which, we have a connection here. This is why historic leadership in the church that's worth remembering, back in verse 7, remember, what is historical leadership in the church worth remembering connected to? Well, it's connected to speaking the word of God. If the pastor calls for yielding to certain exhortations in your life, he better have his Bible open and show you that this exhortation to you is sourced in Christ's word for you. Righteously following the leadership of pastors is ultimately a righteous yielding to the plain word of Christ from the scriptures. There's been no other word for it. There's just been extraordinarily troubling movements in the church throughout, throughout, throughout the ages. Things like, I think it was in the 70s, there was that heavy shepherding movement. So, so, so much so that before you bought a car, you, know, you needed to check with your pastor to, to make sure this was a wise decision for your life. And of course, if you ever want to have coffee with your pastor and talk about a car, that's, that's all fine and wonderful. But if, if at any moment, a kind of authority extends to that kind of realm of life and pastoral, how weird is that? It's just wrong. It's not under the word. It's, it's ancillary to the word. It's outside of it. And so these kinds of things can sneak in. No doubt, the first hearers of this word, they, they would have needed this pointedly uh, directed toward them. Because even as the false teaching is there, with the assumption that there are faithful leaders present in the congregation, this is a church that's drifting from the supremacy of Christ. So he's coming to them and he's saying, hey, you're, you're drifting a bit. You have faithful leaders there. You need to yield to them, submit to them as they're trying to go on in the way of Christ with you. It's a call that would be very pointed for this for this first church and it's a call that can be very pointed for for the church in any time and in any place because hard conversations can be part of the pastor's job and hard conversations with your pastor can be part of the christian life and incidentally if we ever think that pastors are above having to have a hard conversation directed toward them we have to remember that when paul speaks about pastoral ministry to the ephesian elders and he tells them to watch out watch over which we're going to talk a little bit more here in a moment, what does he say to those elders? Watch over yourselves and the flock, which God has made you overseers, with the flock bought with Christ's own blood. The elders, this is why a plurality, more than one elder is important in a congregation because elders are elders' elders. Pastors are pastors. pastors. We all need each other. Josh may come to me and he say, Jared, I'm just noticing this is out of sorts with you. And we need to have a, conversa- we need to have a pastoral conversation about this. And I would need to yield to that as somebody under the ministry of a pastor in my congregation, just as you would if I showed up and to talk to you about something like that. And, and, so, and so we understand that there's a faithful engagement called for, whether it's in sweet times or in difficult times, where we're brought further along in this path of life as we recognize what the, what the preacher is calling for here. He's, he's speaking about a congregational posture toward leadership that reflects a willingness to follow the leadership as they go in the sound direction called for by the Word of God, which you do. And we can all be so extremely thankful for the unity we enjoy in that. This is, this is something we're overwhelmingly grateful for. This is a ministry of the Spirit among us. This is, this is not a, a, any kind of rebuke at all. This is a very wonderful thing that we enjoy in the congregation. But it is, it is an encouraging word that does a function as a kind of tune-in service for us, doesn't it? It's, it's preventative medicine. We need to recognize that this is laid out for us plainly in the Scripture. We need this truth. And, and so this is first. When, when it comes to living a liturgical life, there's going to need to be a connection to yielding to pastors who are leading you in a gospel way. There, there's not a, a grumbling against leadership, but there's a, there, there's a congregational following with the leaders in a way that ultimately uh, speaks to their following of Christ, who is the chief shepherd of the church, following along under the word. 
So we have this, this liturgical living as it relates to, to yielding to current leadership. And then from there, in verse 7, the preacher goes on to give, give two reasons um, for this posture that he calls for. He has two reasons here, and these two reasons actually end up being very helpful in that they uh, both address pastor and people as we unpack them here. So, so, so why is there this exhortation to follow and yield to, to church leadership? We, we need a rationale for this. Um, and while we can have many, the preacher goes to these two. The first one, the first reason, relates to the leadership's responsibility. The leadership's responsibility. So this comes in verse 17 where the preacher says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Well, why would we do that? Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Did you hear the, the responsibility reflected in that statement? Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now in Hebrews, the term soul appears five other times. Uh, and, and it's not used in a way that, that speaks uh, to maybe how, how we, we might think about soul, a kind of disembodied existence, like when I die, my soul is in heaven while my body's in the ground. It's not used in that kind of way in Hebrews. Uh, instead, it's a term that refers more to the, to, to the whole person, or, or maybe we could say more accurately, it refers to the depth of who you are in your personhood in Hebrews. So, for example, back in chapter 4, you remember it's the Word of God that pierces the division of soul and spirit. That's way down inside the who, the who you are of who you are. Or Jesus, what does He do? He anchors our soul in the presence of God in chapter 6. Jesus secures the entirety of who we are with God. And, and so on, the soul is the deep reality of who we are. And here, the preacher tells us that part of the reason for submitting to godly leadership in the church is that the leadership is keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now here we are at that keeping watch phrase that I, that I uh, mentioned earlier. That takes us back to shepherding kind of language. In fact, even in the Christmas story, Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, well, what do you have? You have the shepherds out in their fields, and what were they doing? Keeping watch over their flocks by night. Keeping watch. There's that imagery. It's this watching kind of language, again, that Paul uses when he speaks to the elders in Ephesians uh, the elders of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, where he tells them to keep watch over themselves and the flock uh, which the Lord has made them overseers. So, so, so there's a very pastoral picture involved in the language that's here in that the submission to pastoral leadership on the part of the congregation is not something that exists simply because the office of pastor itself exists. We're not called to yield to pastors simply because of the, the office they apply, uh, they occupy within the church. But instead, it's a yielding to leadership who is seeking to watch over the people in their care. It's a, it's a nurturing, guiding, even rescuing role that's reflected here. It's the watchful care of souls. This is the pastor's job, which, which is a concept that, that is very much largely lost when it comes to thinking about pastoral ministry in our day. Especially when we think about expressions in extraordinarily huge congregations. To, to be a pastor in a church, that can mean about anything in, in, in churches today. Pastor of this, that, and the other thing, it can be thrown around very loosely. It's a word that's almost, almost ambiguous in terms of what it might mean. But soul care, soul care is not an ambiguous subject. In fact, it's a very historically sacred subject. One, one particularly helpful book on pastoral ministry was written in the, in the 16th century by a man named Martin Bootser. I actually read it quite a while ago in our elder meetings. But it's, it's a book that's just entitled this, The True Care of Souls. 
It's a book about being a pastor, the true care of souls. Another more contemporary pastoral theology professor, he's done really good work along these lines in the last couple of years, and he makes this comment in his, in his book. He says, the best pastors have recognized that their primary concern is less external practices and behaviors than the shape of the soul, its direction, purpose, course, and desire. So you see, what the preacher is on about here in Hebrews is that pastoral leadership ministry in the church, it's not, or at least it ought not be, rooted in the, the, maybe the personal prerogatives of the pastor or the, or the human ambitions of the leadership team on the whole. It's not based on, on business models and structures of corporate management and these kinds of things. The pastoral ministry in the church is rooted in the watchful care of souls. In fact, there's a really wonderful book entitled Oh, pastor, where art thou? It's a little green book. And in the, in the, in the book, there's three pastors. Uh, they all are ministering together in, in, in one particular town. One pastor is, is the, the pastor of a, of a huge megachurch. Uh, the other pastor is a pastor of a, of a church of about uh, two or three hundred. And then, and then there's the, the little Anglican minister who has about 40 on Sunday morning. And they all meet regularly for lunch together on a weekly basis and talk about different things. And, and in one meeting, the, the, the person from, and, and the middle pastor is one, the one where it's really, the, the book is focused on him. He's trying to sort out, do I want to go kind of the, the practice of this little Anglican minister or do I want to go the mega church route? How, how am I going to start thinking about pastoral theology? So they're all having lunch together. And, and a turning point for this middle pastor came when, when the mega church pastor comes into lunch and he says, how many souls did you have in church today? Or on Sunday, whatever it was. And, 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 you know, he gives his huge, you know, we had 2,500 souls in the, in the middle pastor. He says, well, you know, we had 220. And, and, and then he said, well, how about you? To the little, the little Anglican vicar. vicar and, and his response was, just enough that I could keep watch over. Just enough that I could be. And that was the turning point for this middle pastor. Okay, I understand there's something unique about pastoral ministry that is not about numbers and attracting a crowd, but it's the watchful care of souls which is expressed in all kinds of ways in pastoral ministry. We're asking questions. Are they following Jesus? Wonderful if they are. Are they sliding away from Jesus? These are the kind of questions the pastors of, of the, the congregation addressed here are going to be asking. Are they falling away from Jesus? Let's go call them back. How can we cultivate church life together in order to ground people and then even, even, even astound people in the supremacy of Christ? Is, is, is a person lagging behind, spiritually speaking? Is a person growing enormously? And how can we help foster that? As a group, are we becoming lazy with the gospel as a group are we pursuing the lost do, do our do our souls long for the conversion of the world around us do we love our neighbors and our enemies is a is a person especially pressed down is a willingness to forgive present in our congregation all these kinds of things go on as we think about what it looks like to consider the care of souls these are the pastor's concerns and, and this is done in a way that brings with it extraordinary, and this is getting back to verse 17 here, this is done in a way that brings with it extraordinary, and, and I might add, uh, very sobering accountability. Because the pastor keeps watch over souls, the preacher says, as those who will give an account. As those who will give an account. The implication here is not that of congregational accountability, although of course there's, there's accountability within the church, but the implication here is that of divine accountability. Now, now, there's a sense, in fact, Hebrews brings it up a couple of different times. Uh, in chapter 3, we have an instance of it. In chapter 10, there's a sense in which we're all responsible for one another's progress in the Christian life as a local church. Uh, that's always true in the Christian life. We are each other's keepers. 
Uh, and we'll give an account to God for the way we've conducted our lives and, and the way we've cared for each other. All of us have a one another responsibility that's connected to our life in a local church following Jesus. That's why, for, for example, it is impossible to be an obedient follower of Jesus in isolation. Those things just can't go together uh, but because we need each other and we have a responsibility to minister to each other. With that said, there is a uniqueness of accountability for gospel progress and the gospel progress of others that attends pastoral ministry uniquely. It's actually present in the Old Testament where the Lord holds the leaders of Israel uniquely, not solely, but uniquely accountable for the people's idolatry. And that uniqueness of accountability is present in pastoral leadership in the New Testament too. It's attached to the nature of the leadership role wherein the pastors are called not just to encourage and exhort and all of those things, but they're also held, held responsible to a higher degree for the gospel well-being of the souls in their care. And there will come a day when we all as pastors will give an account for our ministries as we stand before Christ. If I can put it a bit figuratively, on that final day of judgment, there'll be, as it were, two lines for believers. One line for believers to give an account of their lives and the faithfulness in the realm of the church and the world. And then from that line, you'll look over and there will be another line of pastors who will be called to give an account for their own lives and the corresponding souls in the congregation who are under their care. So the Lord Jesus will say, Jared, I'd like to talk to you about the way you, you conducted your own personal life. And, and, and we'll have that conversation. I'll give an account for that. And then he's going to say, Jared, I'd like to talk to you about uh, this one particular member of Christ's church and how you shepherded them in a gospel way. I'd like you to give an account for the way you, you, you cared for them. And then I'd like to get you to give an account for the way you cared for them. And then I'd like you to give an account for the way you cared for them. And you need to uh, we'll get through this quickly because Josh and Jason are up next. So, so get, get with it and start talking. There's a unique weightiness that is attending pastoral ministry and the fact that we will stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account for the way we've cared for souls. And, and so we see why this is a critical reason why yielding to pastoral leadership is in place. Pastors aren't leading, or God help us if, if, if we are, but we, we must not be leading according to our own personal, personal agenda. We're leading according to Christ's agenda for His people, an agenda for which Josh, Jason and I in this local congregation will give an account for in terms of our care for you. Ultimately, there can be times where conversations take place and while things might, uh, might be nice if they went a certain way, we have to acknowledge the fact that rather than care about the, the, the wider consensus, I'm more concerned to have Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant, than to have the happiness of all who are involved in that. He's the one that we must be serving. So ultimately, decisions can't be made in pastoral ministry based on human preference or what might make life a little easier. Instead, yielding to pastoral leadership is a yielding to their best attempts under the Word of God at being faithful to Christ. So, so again, to bring Alistair up again, who's just been, been so helpful, not, not least of all in his faithfulness for 40-plus years in one church, but, but, but Alistair, he speaks to his congregation about these things, and on multiple occasions, he said to them, uh, for this reason that we're talking about here, I will always be your servant and you will never be my master. I'll always be your servant and you'll never be my master. Because there's a higher accountability uh, than what is represented in the immediate and various concerns of a given group of people in a church. There's an ultimate accountability to the Lord Jesus. 
that's not to minimize accountability within a local church. Obviously, that needs to be there. Uh, but, but in terms of the context here, there's something that's vertical, a vertical that's being represented in terms of pastoral concern. So, so we're working, God help us, we're, 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 we better be working for the preservation and perseverance of your souls in the gospel way, and we'll answer to Christ for how we've done with that in pastoral leadership. So, so that's the, the first part of the rationale. And I've talked to pastors who've, who've stopped being pastors. And on multiple occasions, one of the first things they say when, I, when I've talked to them, I said, well, how's it going? And, and even if they've had to leave for reasons that are fairly pressure-filled and not so happy, I'll ask them how it's going. And one of the first things they say is, I just feel kind of relieved. I just feel relieved from that, from that burden. And there's something to that that has to be recognized. There is a real burden placed upon pastors in, in a way that the Spirit upholds them. But there's a real burden to work for the people's good, ultimately, because Jesus is going to ask. He's going to ask. And we want to answer faithfully. So that's part of the rationale. We're there. Uh, pastors are to be yielded to in this context here uh, because there's a unique responsibility that attends, that attends the work. And then, and then there's also another reason uh, that the preacher gives here. The other reason is, is centered on uh, uh, the people's benefit as they yield to pastoral ministry. So it's not just the, the responsibility that's there for the leadership, but there's also a benefit that's referenced here for the people. And, th- and this is very interesting to think through. So, so, so work through this with me here for a second. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. We got that. So that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you or unprofitable for you. So there's a, a benefit in, in terms of the congregation that's referenced here. Now, now, there's a general sense in which a statement like this could be read very, very simply, just in that, that joy in leadership comes when that leadership is met with, with trust and gospel camaraderie in the congregation. And that's just, that, that's just a very straightforward thing. Joy exists when we're all going in the same direction, um, and, and pastoral work isn't a grieved process, but instead it's a happy one, and, and certainly there's real truth in that. Uh, But as scholars work out this statement here in the end of verse 7, more seems to be indicated than just a happy time as the pastor and people go through this life kumbayaing together. There's a little more to it than that. Um, And and the more aspect revolves around, first of all, this term joy that's used here. And interestingly, joy in the book of Hebrews is used three other times. And each time it's used, it's attached to future-oriented joy. It's a future-orientation kind of concept. So, so, for example, in chapter 10, the preacher speaks about these people being persecuted, but they were persecuted with joy. Why, were they, why did they have their possessions taken and be, how could they be joyful in that? Well, the preacher says, you know that you have a better, position, a better possession, namely a heavenly city. He points them forward in time, which is where their joy is ultimately set, the reality of a new creation, where all things are going to be, are going to be there in full for them. And then in chapter 12, it's Jesus, well, why, did, why did he endure the cross? For the joy immediately present to him? No, what does Hebrews say? For the joy set before him. Again, it's a future-oriented kind of thing. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And Hebrews' joy is attached to the future realities that ultimately culminate on the final day and in a new creation. And, And here we have joy brought up again, which now begs the question. Here's the second question we have to ask. What is the this that the leadership should be able to do with joy? What is the this? Let me just read the verse again. At the end of that verse, um, he said, Do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. What is the this? Well, 
One option is that the this is keeping watch over your souls. Um, to, so submit to pastoral authority so that the pastors can do this, i.e. pastoral care, with joy and not with grief. That, that's one option, and that's a pleasant one. Uh, but another option, uh, grammatically, is that this doesn't refer directly to, keeping, to, to the keeping watch part of the pastor's job, but instead the this refers to the final giving an account of the pastor's job that they would be able to give an account with joy. In other words, on the final day when the pastors of the church stand before Jesus and give an account for the souls they've cared for, the great desire is to be able to do so joyfully before Jesus rather than filled with grief before Jesus. And because of how joy is used in Hebrews in terms of pointing forward to a final day and because of a couple other grammatical clues that are here, the majority of scholars take the joy here to to be attached in that kind of way, to that future accountability that the preachers are going, that the pastors are going to give uh, regarding the congregation. So, So put that together, the congregation is called to yield to the faithful gospel leadership of the church so that when those pastors are giving an account to Jesus, they can rejoice before Jesus in the faithfulness of the people, rather than be grieved before Jesus as they speak about the people's slackness or even rejection of the gospel way. Which again, even thinking about the context of Hebrews, that's a, that's a timely word for them, because they, they have been sliding back from Christ. So, so yield to your faithful pastors as they bring you along in the gospel way so that on the final day they will have a joyful report rather than a sorrowful one. And, and so why would a congregation yield to the gospel direction of, of, of pastors for, for, for such a joyful uh, report on the final day? Why would they do that? Well, here's the understatement of the year at the end of this verse. It would be unprofitable for you if they had a grief-filled report. What an understatement. It would be unprofit. It would be entirely unbeneficial to have your pastor stand before Jesus and say, look, I long to bring them along in faithfulness. I spoke your word to them. I prayed for them. And in the end, they were indifferent. In the end, they slid back from you, Lord Jesus. In the end, uh, I'm, I'm filled with great pastoral sorrow because they didn't care for your truth. To, to, have, to have a pastoral accountability report before the Lord of the universe go that way, well, we know from Hebrews what it looks like to be found as those who have rejected the living Christ. Unprofitable is the greatest understatement of the year. It is not good is dangerous at best. So so you see where he's going with all this. Do this. Be able to give an account to Jesus with joy instead of with grief because it would be unprofitable for for you if you did that. And and we see examples like that take place. In fact, when we first began, uh, when we were first planting Christ Church here, I was meeting regularly with Mike, who at the time was a pastor of Selwood Baptist. It was before Jeff got here. Uh, and, and, and Mike had been there for over 20 years, a man who loved Jesus, um, loved the scriptures. And we were meeting regularly for prayer. And, and I was asking him, you know, what, 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 what do you think about Selwood? Is there, is there a gospel presence in the neighborhood? I know you are. Is, is there any other gospel presence in the neighborhood at the time? Again, this was nine years ago. Um, and, and he said, well, there's not, there's not really now. There used to be. Uh, it used to be that the Catholic priest at the church over here was a converted minister. And for all the other churches in Selwood, all the other denominations represented, he was the only one who really loved Christ and was trusting in Christ for salvation. And we used to meet together for prayer regularly. And, and so I said, what, where is he? It would be great to meet with him for prayer. And he said, well, not too long ago, he became so discouraged that nobody seemed to be following Jesus or would give, give way to Christ's way that, that he fell into a significant depression. And he now is down at Mount Angel Abbey teaching pastoral theology. He left the ministry. Why did he leave the ministry? Well, he's filled with grief. He'll give an account for his ministry on that final day, 
But like the, like the faithfulness of Ezekiel's own ministry in Ezekiel chapter 3, he won't be held accountable for the fact that the people were not engaged with the gospel. He was in deep despair because they weren't engaged with the gospel. And as a result, he's going to have to give an account that is filled with grief. Which certainly is not the norm, but it is something that can be very present. And as we think about churches uh, that we're, we've been a part of, as we think about engaging in our local church, it's such a wonderfully joyful thing to have the gospel desired in our midst, to have following Jesus be a priority for all of us. Because as Jesus is a priority for all of us, not only as pastors is that a great source of climactic and, 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 and final joy before Christ as we give an accountability report for our care for you, but it's also a great point of joy for you. It will be profitable for you as you, as you reach the realities of the heavenly realm and having, having come before Jesus, serving Him all the way, knowing that He's the one you put your entire faith in and knowing that He's the one you've been following underneath faithful pastoral care, all of this will be profitable rather than a source of deep discouragement. So, so what the preacher is saying here is, is that part of the reason for submission to faithful church leadership, part of the rationale, isn't just the leader's responsibility to God for the care they've extended, but part of the rationale is so that when they give that account, they will not have a grief-filled report before the living Christ about the congregation they serve, because, because, because to do so would be entirely unprofitable, be entirely unprofitable. So, so we see how all this fits together. The liturgical life and current church leadership. That the congregation yields to leadership as that leadership exercises themselves for the gospel well-being of the congregation. Priorities aligned with Christ's priorities under the word of God together. And the congregation yields to the pastoral leadership because on the one hand, the pastors are given a unique responsibility before God to care for souls. There is a divine commission and accountability attached to pastoral work. And also, on that final day when the report is given in the economy of God, you want your pastors to rejoice over the gospel perseverance you've engaged in rather than be filled with grief over indifference toward the way of Christ reflected in the church. You can see why this matters. You can see why this matters for the first hearers of Hebrews. They needed to be brought back into the way of Christ. And you can see why this matters for us as we think of our own life and engaging faithfully in the gospel way. This gives you good truth to consider pastoral ministry and how it looks at Christ's church. Is Christ's church's pastoral ministry concerned with the supremacy of Christ yesterday, today, and forever? Are we going along in that way under the leadership of this church right now? That is a question you need to ask. As the Bible is preached Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, you need to have it open, checking, making sure that what we're being called to engage in is actually coming out of the Bible rather than something being slopped on top of the Bible. We need to be going along in the way that is faithful to the scriptures and where that is taking place as a church we yield to that and we go in that direction and God help us if there's ever an instance where that's not the case then we call that and it stops because we want to be people of the risen Christ we want to be people of the supreme Christ the one who ultimately we're directing our attention to constantly constantly He's the one our attention is directed to. That's why it doesn't matter who's preaching up here, as long as they're being faithful to the text and can, you know, string a, you got to string a sentence or two together. But, 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 but the reality is this can never be a cult of personality or anything like that. Uh, this has to be something directed entirely toward the, toward the supremacy of Jesus if we're going to go on in a faithful way. And so, and so we're thankful for a word like this because it recenters us. To live a life of worship before God, faithful leadership is critical according to God's design. 
And following that leadership is equally critical. As, as we all do this, not, not dependent on our, own, on our own strength, on our own powers, but yielding uh, to God's work in our own heart as we do this under the word, completely dependent on the, on the risen Christ as the one who is sufficient and, and capable to give us all things. Which, which is ultimately why we're going to sing the song uh, we sing during communion. I'm so glad Ben put this in the list this week, speaking about the ministry of Christ. Because when we're done with this, the last thing we want to do is sing a song about pastors. When we're done with this, we need to make sure we're singing a song about Jesus and the fact that he's the one all our attention needs to be continually directed to. He's the one we need to be consumed with following. If, if, if a pastor's done his job at all, the direction is one of vertically toward Christ rather, any, rather than any other way. And so we're thankful for the word which reminds us of these things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us the grace we need to uh, keep on in the gospel way, both as leaders and as congregants. We know that under your word, we are shepherded by the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd. He's the one who brings us all along and we need each other and we need his guidance. And so we ask that you give us hearts that are turned toward him and continue to follow along in his way. We're thankful uh, for the grace you have already extended and ask that you would continue uh, to be so merciful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.